It's that time of year again, amigos. It's Hispanic Heritage Month, a national celebration to honor the history, culture, and influence of past generations who came from Spain, Mexico, the Caribbean, Central, and South America. This observance started in 1968 under President Lyndon Baines Johnson, whose administration had actually designated a one-week celebration called Hispanic Heritage Week. Twenty years later, under President Ronald Reagan, they actually extended this week's celebration to a month-long event. It was enacted by Congress into law on August 17, 1988, to officially designate the 30-day period starting from September 15th to October 15th as National Hispanic Heritage Month. During this celebration, September 15th marks the independence anniversary of five countries, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala, followed by Mexico's independence on September 16th and Chile's on September 18th. Another important date that falls in this 30-day period is Dia de la Raza, or Columbus Day, which is celebrated on October 12th. During this podcast, you're going to find out a lot more about Hispanic heritage, the culture, and a lot of fun facts that you're not going to find in your history books. We're all familiar with that famous Catholic priest, Father Miguel Hidalgo, who delivered to his parish on September 16th of 1810 in the small town of Dolores, located in central Mexico, the cry. The cry that called his people to rise up against the Spaniards after dealing with nearly three centuries of Spanish rule and oppression. The cry was referred to as El Grito, El Grito de Dolores, sparking the revolution. As the revolution went on, and after a crushing defeat at the Battle of the Calderon Bridge on January 17, 1811, Father Hidalgo fled north, hoping to escape to the United States. He was caught on March 21st and executed by firing squad on July 30th, 1811, at age 58. But a lot of people don't realize that even though Father Hidalgo was famous and he was the priest that started the Revolutionary War and was actually recognized as, by many as the father of Mexico, he was excommunicated from the Catholic Church. He was excommunicated nine days after El Grito. Not only for starting a war, Father Hidalgo had an interesting history. As a Catholic priest, uh, we know of at least four different women that he was with. He fathered about eight children, and he advocated that sex outside of marriage was okay. As we can say, Father Hidalgo, an interesting character, excommunicated. However, it doesn't quite look good that such a famous person in history should be excommunicated from the church. So on October of 2007, his excommunication was annulled by the Catholic Church. And the annulment came that they discovered that just before his execution, Father Hidalgo confessed to a Catholic priest, which once confessed, cleared his sins, and has annulled his excommunication. So all is well, and Father Hidalgo is back in good standings with the Catholic Church. The Hispanic population and buying power. Before we get into this subject, let me just preface it by saying the United States Census Bureau does an amazing job of counting people. However, historically, counting Hispanics does not seem to be a priority for them. We are historically and continuously undercounted. This past census count is no different. As you know, we were in the middle of COVID, which made counting very difficult from the door to door. 
the um, administration, the previous administration, decided to cut the counting off early, so we did not get an accurate count. So the data that I'm about to give you is based on the Census Bureau, information from the Pew Center, and other sources of information. However, the information, in my opinion, is very conservative and way below what it should be. With that said, in the United States, the Hispanic population reached 62.1 million people in 2020. That was up another 50.5 million from 2010 census. As you look at that, as a population of the Hispanic community continues to grow, we actually make up about 18.5% of the overall population in the United States. That is very significant. As our population continues to grow, we are the fastest growing population in the United States until as of late. In fact, the Asian population per capita is growing much quicker than the Hispanic population and is the fastest growing population. However, the raw numbers still give Hispanic population a little bit of an edge when it comes down to it. When you start looking at the population distribution of Latinos, Hispanics, throughout the United States, California has the highest number of Hispanics population in the U.S., with over 15.7 million people. Texas, Florida, New York, and Arizona round off the top five Hispanic states in this country. As we look at that, as Hispanic population is growing, so is our buying power. If you were to actually look at the total economic output, or the GDP, of Latinos in the United States for 2018 was $2.6 trillion. That's up $2.3 trillion from 2017 and $1.7 trillion from 2010. If Latinos in the United States were an independent country, the U.S. Latino GDP would be the eighth largest GDP and economy in the world, just behind India. These figures are based on a lot of different information, but what they don't take into account, what I call the underground economy that is out there. You have your pulgas, you have your abuelitas making tamales and tacos, you have your little food trucks. You have an entire industry of money that's being made and contributed to this economy that is never accounted for. So that $2.6 trillion, think it's a little higher and it's going to continue to grow. Bottom line is Hispanics make a significant contribution to this economy and the workforce. All across this country, for civilian laborers 16 years and older, over 63% of all workers are Hispanic. That's right. Over 63% of the labor force in this country is Hispanic. And as Hispanics working, they're also earning money and they have money to spend. The Hispanic buying power is grown tremendously. Hispanic consumers in the U.S. control a total of $1.5 trillion in buying power. That's up 212% this decade alone. If you're a marketer, you're a business, you're trying to sell your products, $1.5 trillion at a 212% growth. That is enormous. And that growth is going to continue to go. It's actually the Hispanic population that is the fastest growing, the biggest money earners, and are contributing to this economy more than anybody else. As I mentioned, the top states of where Hispanics live. You know, one of the things say, JR, why is Texas's economy doing so well? I believe it's because of the Hispanics that are in this country, their entrepreneurship, their dedication to actually work and do a job. We have over 700,000 Hispanic-owned businesses in the state of Texas alone. 
our workforce in the state of Texas is about the national average, believe it or not. We're about 64 to 65% of our entire labor force is Hispanic. These are the essential workers, the frontline workers, the people in the hotels serving your food. They're the ones getting the job done. They're the ones that are in construction, that are building the buildings. But as we continue to grow and the education attainment continues to grow even higher, we have Hispanics that are your lawyers, your doctors, your accountants, your public relations practitioners, your professionals. Hispanics are growing and the trend is continuing to grow. So if you're in business and you look at it and you're looking to grow your business, especially in these difficult times, ask yourself, what am I doing to attract the Hispanic market? Or more important, ask yourself, do you have Latinos or Hispanics in your management team? Do you have people that you can talk to? Have you hired Hispanics to do more than just labor and possibly get into management and help you figure out how you can increase your market share out there? Because this market and this money is not going to go down. It's going to go nowhere but up. So a lot of folks out there in businesses are going to have to do a little semantic shifting you can or take just that leap and go, I need to learn how to start marketing my business a little bit different if I want to survive and sustain my profitability. Hispanic buying power is huge. Now, if you remember, I said a little bit earlier, Hispanics account for about one out of every six Americans in this country. And their aggregate buying power combined and the GDP is the eighth largest economy in the world and continuing to grow. And if you think about it, who can actually afford to ignore that many potential customers? Hispanics have made a huge contribution to this country and have been doing so even before this country was a country. When you talk to people from different parts of the world, one of the things that keeps coming up is the Western. Who doesn't love a good Western movie? Everybody does. You got good, you got evil, you got romance, you got action, you have everything anybody could want in a movie. And at the end, the hero gets the girl and then rides off into the sunset on the back of a horse. Ladies and gentlemen, horses. They did not come over on the Mayflower. It was the Spanish conquistadores that brought the horses into Mexico. And then it was the Mexican vaqueros that actually showed Anglo settlers how to be cowboys. Cowboying is a Spanish and Mexican thing, not necessarily an American thing. But of course, everybody knows it as the great American cowboy. There are some people who believe that Anglos began the cattle industry in Texas and that the first cattle drives out of Texas were over the famous Chisholm and Goodnight Trails. However, nothing could be farther from the truth. Those were not the first cattle drives. The first cattle drives out of Texas was over El Camino Real, and it headed east, not north. In 1779, the governor of Spanish Louisiana, Galvez, whom Galveston is named after, received a dispatch from General George Washington requesting aid and assistance. The Tejano community would respond by raising hundreds of Spanish pesos and driving over 10,000 head of cattle east to feed the armies of George Washington. As a young man, Galvez had been in Texas and knew there was an abundance of cattle and horses on Tejano ranches and in South Texas. In order to feed the troops, Galvez sent an emissary, Francisco Garcia, with a letter to the governor of Texas requesting formally and authorizing the first cattle drive out of Texas. 
10 to 15,000 Longhorns were rounded up and driven to Louisiana and then up north in groups of about a thousand at a time to feed George Washington's troops. Many of these drovers were Spanish soldiers, Tejano ranchers, Tejano vaqueros, and Mission Indians. Records show that many of these drovers remained to fight in the army of Galvez. Galvez, in essence, would open up a third front defeating the British along the Mississippi River and along the Gulf Coast from Louisiana to Florida. During the American Revolutionary War, under the command of Galvez, were troops and ships from Mexico. One of Galvez's top officers was a direct descendant of Montezuma himself. After listening to this podcast, I hope that you learn just a little bit more about Hispanic culture and the contributions Hispanics and Latinos have made to this country. But I'd be remiss if I didn't mention one more topic, and that's going to be food. Mexican food, Tex-Mex food, Latino foods in general. But one of my favorites is going to be fajitas. Oh, the lovable fajita. Who doesn't like a good fajita? But the interesting thing is that according to the Oxford Dictionary, the word fajita didn't appear in print until 1971. Now, of course, ever since the Rincals, there's been fajitas. But prior to that, it's been considered scrap meat. It was waste. It was scrap. Nobody wanted it. Butchers used to grind it up and sell it along with the hamburger meat. It was worthless. Until a young man from Mercedes, Texas came along named Sonny Falcon. Sonny Falcon was a butcher by trade and started experimenting with this piece of meat and discovered with very little seasoning, just a little salt and pepper and a little bit of grilling, that this, what was thought of as a scrap piece of meat, could be absolutely delicious. Sonny Falcon actually set up a concession stand in 1969 in Kyle, Texas's 16th of September celebration, and that's where the first fajita was sold. The rest is history. As the popularity of fajitas grew, so did the price. Mexican food, Tex-Mex, whatever you want to call it, is very popular. I mean, after all, salsa outsells ketchup, tortillas outsell hamburger and hot dog buns, because America loves it. I ask one thing for you, though, folks, before I go. A favor, if you will. Next time you're in a Mexican food restaurant and they ask you, would you like a chicken fajita or a beef fajita? Look them square in the eye and go, chickens don't have fajitas. And it's true. A chicken, if you, a chicken fajita would be like saying, I'd like a shrimp T-bone. It doesn't exist. Well, some people argue that if you get some grilled chicken, stick it in a tortilla, put a little bit of guacamole, a little bit of pico de gallo, some cheese, and some other toppings, that you have a fajita. No, that is not a fajita. That is a grilled chicken taco. A fajita is a specific cut of meat that comes from a cow. It's beef. So you can't have chicken fajitas. You can't have shrimp fajitas. And God, Lord knows you can't have vegetarian fajitas, okay? The grilling and putting in a tortilla does not make it a fajita. A fajita is a standalone piece of meat that we love. So please, don't confuse the two. If you want to find out more about the fajita, you can actually go to my podcast and go to episode 8. We have an interview with Mr. Sonny Falcon himself, an entire episode dedicated to the fact that chickens don't have fajitas. As we continue Hispanic Heritage Month, I hope this podcast has shed a little light on the contributions Hispanics have actually given to this country. And if nothing else, you got some good trivia to impress your friends. See you next time. <laughs>